Nobody thinks about like two old people having sex. That's gross. What? What? What is going on here? <laughs> we're, we're, we're this is this. this is different. What are we? Now doing? we're just choosing the lesser of two evils. Oh wait, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> now you definitely have to edit. Now. You are now listening to Not Safe for Church, a Pewology podcast original series. Are we airing this? Hey friends, welcome back. This is Pewology. This is our show, Not Safe for Church, and I have my really. Old friend Jenny Patterson, Mar- is it Morrow? Morrow, yep. Yep. All right, cool. So good to have you on on our little podcast and have you. Thank you. Get interviewed today. I like being introduced as being really old too. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's so good. Okay, so hold on. Let's run through the quick the just the all the formalities in the bio here. You are the pastor at Warwick United Methodist. Is it Warwick? Is that right? Yep, Warwick. Uh-huh. Uh huh. United Methodist Church in Warwick, New York. Where is that? Where the heck is Warwick, New York? New York. Uh, you are not the first person to ask that question. Mm. Uh, we're about an hour north of the city, um, north of New York City. Oh. So, wow. um, but we're in the mountains. You'd never know it looking around. Um, so we're the church I serve is about 10 minutes off of the Appalachian Trail as it comes through this part of the country. Nice. And so it's a really, really beautiful spot, um, but also really close to the city as well. Do you go to the city all the time? Um, you know, I don't as much as uh, I used to. We, we've lived in a couple of spots up here. Um in the Methodist Church, we we get appointed to different communities, and so we've I've served some churches that have been closer, and we've we've definitely gone in more often. But I always try to tell my kids whenever we go, I'm like, you know, you guys, you realize this is like for a lot of people, this is a trip of a lifetime. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and it took us an hour and a half to drive here, so just don't forget that. <laughs> yeah, it is bucket list for a lot of people, and you just that's like, right. Slip in and out. Got it. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. real quick background. Undergrad at Milligan, grad at Emmanuel School of Religion, and M. Divot Union, which makes you smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> and more in debt. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, I can't even imagine how you're paying that off on your pastor's salary, but good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> defer, defer, defer. Just stay in school. That's <laughs> oh, so good. All right, so we grew up in the same youth group. We did. Now, do you look back on the whole, our whole youth group experience and our church experience with great fondness? I do, actually. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I I think what a, it was a, it felt like a moment in time almost. Just, just this great gathering of people. I mean, we were stupid kids, of course, you know, but, but that wasn't enough to undo um, the, the real richness and goodness of those years. Yeah. So yeah, I we, do. We tried hard to undo that, but it was yeah, still there. <laughs> it was still it was still there. So good. I just I I, I don't know how to say this, but I, I've always I've looked back and thought and I guess everybody does this, they get a little nostalgic about their own past, but I've always looked back and thought, I don't know if there's too many people that had that type of experience growing up mm. and we were so lucky yeah. and didn't know it because it's been so difficult yeah. to reproduce for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's true. I would, I would, I would agree with that. Um, and, and, uh, and have been grateful for um, some of the connections from that time. I'm a long way from Florida now, but some of the connections from that time that I've been able to, you know, maintain because, yeah. Uh, we put down deep roots in those years. And so I've been grateful for those. Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking about it because we've added that one little youth group, but in, a, in about that four year high school cycle, we put yeah. out a lot of like clergy people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was something weird going on, man. I, that, that's got to be the <laughs> highest output of clergy from one youth group. We would definitely be in the upper, upper percentages. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and uh, it's a, it is something. I mean, it's certainly nothing I've ever experienced. You know, in my ministry, I've I've certainly not had that kind of experience with a with a small group of youth. 
you know, who have who have turned around and and walked into kind of making this a part of their professional calling, I guess, you yeah. know. Um so it is. It's something. It's great. I think it speaks to a lot of good things. Yeah. When you went off to Milligan, did you did you know then like okay, I'm feeling like I might end up in ministry? I knew that I wanted to do that, but I really wasn't clear that I would be able to. I I really wrestled with <laughs> not a lot of open doors there at uh, not a lot the of Disciples open of doors. Christ in Milligan. No, <laughs> not well. Listen, here's what I'll say: <laughs> Milligan was remarkable right. in 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 creating space for me to hear that call, right? Um, and and to respond, but but I wasn't sure. And and even our youth group growing up, I mean, I felt like. You know, a friend of mine just uh, just this morning passed along these words from a, one of the Psalms, Psalm 66, you have brought us out to a spacious place. And I felt like our youth group created a spacious place yeah. to kind of explore that in a tradition where it was, it was un, anywhere from uncommon to um, unbiblical for me to follow that kind of call, right? Right. And, and I found that same kind of gracious space. At, at Milligan, um, but I really had to wrestle and spent uh, quite a bit of time in my early years there working my way through the scriptures and, and, and trying to discern, is is it even okay? Um, right. And uh, it took some time, but here I am. Here you are. And it's been so easy in ministry, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, total, total walk in the park. <laughs> I get plenty of sleep. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. It's, no stress at all. You don't have any. Like, Remarkably yeah. well rested. No nerve issues. No like no. No stress issues. No depression issues. Nothing at all. Just all Not. sunshine and roses. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm glad you understand. I'm uh, glad we both had that experience. That makes me so good. very happy. Yeah, it's so good. All right. So let's fast forward to the presence because you, if, if I'm right, you just got back from what... The, what does the United Methodist call their like grand gathering that just took place in yeah. St. Louis? Yeah, so uh, in in Methodist lingo, that's called our general conference. Oh, okay. And typically in the United Methodist Church, we have a general conference once every four years. And that's the top policymaking um, body for the denomination. And at the general conference, um, delegates, in an equal number of lay people, so just people from the congregation and clergy, are elected. Uh, they are chosen by their uh, more local conferences to go and attend um, once every four years. And that's not just uh, from the United States, but from around the world. We're a global denomination, and so there are delegates from. Uh, a number of different countries in Africa, in the Philippines, in uh, Korea, other parts of Asia, Russia. Um, and so it really is, as well as Central America, you know, I'm, I'm leaving out lots of places, but it's a, it's a global gathering. Right. So we, we gather once every four years. However, um, this general conference took place uh, in between to, in between that four-year cycle. So the last time we gathered, was 2016, and this was a special called session of the general. Oh, I didn't know that. This this was like a whole unique thing. Like it was like it was okay. It was now. Was yeah. it specifically to address the issues of sexuality? It was okay. um, back in 2016 at the general conference. It became clear that it, well, it 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 was feeling increasingly clear both to the delegates and to um, in the Methodist Church we have bishops. Uh, who are over geographical areas of the church, um, and it became clear to the bishops as well that that we may be moving toward a split, toward schism, mm-hmm. and kind of in a last ditch effort to avoid that uh, schism, the bishops stepped in um, and called for what they. Um, what they titled a commission on the way forward. That was a smaller group of people to spend lengthy, intentional time together from a variety of perspectives, 
cultural context, ages, races, backgrounds, um, to to discern a possible way forward for the denomination okay. to avoid schism, right? right? And so, so part so that was part one, calling this commission together, and part two was calling a special general conference, which just happened in St. Louis, to vote on um, whatever the work of that commission was. So the plans that they came up with, so for a variety of different options for the church going forward. Okay. And they came up with more than one option? They did. Um, There was, there were, the the commission came up with three plans, and then there was a fourth plan um, that was also brought before the conference. So there were four total plans, along with some other legislation that that was um, put forth in St. Louis. But again, all of this was um, was around this this possible impending schism over human sexuality. Right. Okay, so let's go like mile high for a second and look at the big picture. You I'm guessing that the I'm I'm just guessing. You you give me your insight here, but I'm guessing that the denomination is. Am I right in thinking that the United Methodists would be considered? I mean, one of the large, one of the larger, especially in American denominations within Protestantism. Yeah, um, you're right. And depending on who you ask, we're either the 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 second or third largest Protestant denomination in the United States. Okay. So inside there, I'm guessing there's a bunch of like people of all different stripes who believe a number of different things on human sexuality, but, (laughs) but help us understand like maybe the two ends of the spectrum. So I'm guessing you have a really conservative, you know, thread that's running through there and a, and a much more liberal thread that's running through there. Help us understand like what you're dealing with. Sure. Well, the 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 debate or the discussion um, or the flat out fight, uh, <laughs> depending on the context, right. centers around um, in in the United Methodist Church. We have what's called the Book of Discipline, which um, is every bit as fun to read as it sounds. <laughs> and essentially, it's a it's it's the organizing document for our denomination, and it includes all kinds of things, historic um, his, historic information from our beginnings under John Wesley back in England, to social principles that guide how the church functions in the world today, uh, to requirements for clergy. Um, it, it's, it's how we organize ourselves. It's our rule book. It's our, it's our go-to, right? And uh-huh. within and in 1972, I'm I'm having to go back, but I'm going to answer your question right. about no, get it, you're good. Grant, but this is for anybody that's not kind of connected to the church, to the Methodist Church. I think it may be helpful. So, in 1972, at the General Conference, um, a motion was passed to add into the language of the uh, of the Book of Discipline the phrase "homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching." So prior to 1972, that language was not in the Book of Discipline. Um, it was added in at that time, and every four years since, there has been discussion, debate, and fight around that language and what it means. Now, connected to that language are two other pieces. One is regarding um, ordination for LGBTQ persons. And currently, um, that is not permitted by the Book of Discipline because it states homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching, right? Um, and so, so that's one piece of what is being struggled over. The other piece is a is somewhat more recent, and that's around same-sex marriage. Um, now that that is legal, um, here in our country and, and in the context where I'm serving, um, there are also statements in the book of discipline that define marriage as between one man and one woman. 
Um, and, and so there is a lot of strife over, and currently it is prohibited for United Methodist clergy to officiate at a marriage, um, a same-sex union. And mm-hmm. uh, however, so, so what I think sometimes happens in these conversations is that, so those are, those, that's, that's the specifics. That's, that's what's in the book and th- that is at stake, um, in, in this conversation. But of course, it's much broader than that as well, because, um, we're not ultimately just talking about whether or not the church will ordain LGBTQ persons for the ministry or perform same-sex wedding ceremonies. We're talking about how the church relates to, in this case, an entire group of people and what the church's witness is uh, to folks within that group, what the church's message is. Yeah, totally. Um, to folks within that group. So on the on the very conservative uh, end of the spectrum, you have um, you have folks who want to retain that language in the Book of Discipline uh, regarding incompatibility with Christian teaching. You have folks who want to retain the prohibitions against LGBTQ ordination as well as um, Performing same-sex ceremonies, and you ha- and alongside that, you have folks who want to um, up the penalty, uh, make the language far more punitive for any clergy or bishops who do not abide according to those rules. Um, for example, the 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 push is that if a if let's say if I perform a same-sex wedding ceremony, there's a push that would say that my for the first offense, I would be uh, dismissed without pay for a year. And for a second offense, I would be stripped of my ordination. Ouch. So that's the, that's, a, you've got that, that camp on one side. And then on the, on the progressive end of the spectrum, you have, um, the the push to remove all restrictive language from the book of discipline. So literally to, to take that phrase that was added in 1972, take it back out, uh, remove the language and, and, and practice open and affirming ordination for all persons, regardless of sexual orientation and extend the, the particular ministry of the church that includes being able to be married here to all persons in all relationships. So that's that's the progressive. Okay, so knowing <laughs> so this is kind of an interesting conversation because knowing where you came from, you know, and yes. grew up together. And right. then we've got this fairly large gap where we just haven't, you know, our paths haven't crossed and now we're having this conversation. Help me and us understand like what it's been like for you to kind of develop a theology on these, on this issue. Like how have you gone from where you grew up to like what you believe now and what's been the most influential factors in that for you? Hmm. Um, sure. Well, and I would say that, that abs. one thing that I, I just want to throw out is that I, I try very hard. I think language is really important and I try very hard when, when I have conversations around this with, with my congregation now, with my children, with my family, you know, in whatever context I, I find myself that I, I work hard not to talk about this as an issue. Um, and this is kind of a way of answering your question too, I think, in terms of what has had the most impact on me, because, What's clear to me is that we're talking about human beings. Um, we're not we're not discussing uh, this this disembodied issue floating up around in the clouds or this idea, but we're talking about 
individuals' lives. And and I will say that 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 the related to that, the single most important influence in my own um growing understanding and and um place that I find myself in ministry now and and in in having these conversations have been individual people and relationships that I have been blessed to have over the years um with with folks especially with folks who are in the LGBTQ community um I have I have very close family members who are part of that community. I have very dear friends. I have respected colleagues. Um, I have teachers and mentors. I have parishioners um, in every church I've served and, and in the church I currently serve, um, young and old and in between. And and so it's their lives that have been, I think, most influential to me, right alongside, um, actually, my experience that we were talking about earlier of coming into a more spacious place around the question of my own call and would it be possible for me to serve the church uh, even as a woman in a position of leadership? Uh, and so the work I had to do just biblically around that and, and, and in discerning my own call and working that out in congregations that I served in a variety of capacities, that impacted me too. The, the first church I served um, out of seminary, I was a youth minister at a church um, in Louisville, Kentucky. And at that church, they would hire me as their youth minister, but the only thing I was allowed to do during the worship service was read the announcements. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to pray. I wasn't allowed to to read scripture. And I absolutely wasn't allowed to, to preach. And, <laughs> and awesome. so those experiences have definitely informed kind of the, the journey I've taken with regard to human sexuality um, in the church, in scripture, and, and just in general. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You must have read those yeah, right. announcements really well. Like, just I, gave, I gave them your know. all. <laughs> this is my moment. <laughs> I'm going to break right. it. That's right. Can, and we're going to have a pan <laughs> for this Friday, friends. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah, yeah. Good times. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so I think, though, with – I'm just assuming that you're a little bit like me and that when you're confronted with, um, you know, social dilemmas and, like you would say, personal issues that face the church people that that you're trying to go okay i gotta navigate um how do we take the you know how do we be true to the scripture and how do we um oversee a local congregation of faith and do it in love and let love be the defining you know character quality and all this kind of stuff i mean there's a lot of work that goes into that there's a lot of work that goes into figuring out that road and how to navigate that road was with I'm imagining that wasn't just like an epiphany for you. I'm and imagining that that's an unfolding. Like you start at one place and you're like, Oh, wait a minute, hold on. And there's this unfolding that takes place. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, and it's still unfolding. I mean, I, I, if, if you want to feel like a beginner for your whole life, be a pastor. Um, <laughs> Such a good line. I'm going to get that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I tell you what, it's a uh, we're because it's 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 beautifully messy work. Right. Um, because we are, it's work that ultimately can only happen in relationship. Right. Um, and uh, and so yeah, certainly I would echo that that working through all these um, 
and and not just around you know we're having this conversation around human sexuality but but in so many ways um is a constant working out and 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 growing understanding and taking a few steps back and then growing and understanding anymore it's not linear progression either it's not you know it's not like well i started here and now i took this straight line and got here right. um i think we're where uh, our journeys, at least my journey, has has been uh, more circuitous, uh, taking a lot of different paths than that. But yeah, yeah, I agree with that for yeah. sure. Um, so l- l- how, how does it work at like the local congregational level? Are do you do you just kind of go into it? Because I, I I mean I'm just guessing. We haven't really talked about it, but I'm just guessing that you find yourself in the much more progressive camp now within your denomination. And so do you, when you're dealing with your local community of faith, the the, yeah. the people that you oversee, do you find yourself feeling very free to be like, Hey, this is exactly how I see it and how I teach it and how I'm, or do you still find yourself kind of being um, struggling to, to help struggling to find the balance of like, Ooh, I've got conservatives here and progressive here, and I've got to be able to speak to both. And I've got to be able to, to help everybody along in the process and be a unifier. Or what's it like for you? Yeah. Well, it, you know, and that's, that kind of being in that place, that's another thing that, that has, that has changed and transformed for me over time. Uh, for sure. I, um, I think that here on a local level, um, in every church I've served, um, I have had the pleasure of having folks who are all over the map, politically, socioeconomically, right. um, and and I think, you know, I actually think that one of the most compelling witnesses the church can offer the world right now, especially right now when polarization is is just it's what's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> yeah. Is is to is to be a community that witnesses to the power of love, mutual care, and understanding amidst diversity right. and difference and disagreement. Right. Um, and so, so I I, I would say that. You know, I, I feel very strongly that that I'm that in whatever congregation I'm serving, I am everyone's pastor. I am I'm not just the pastor for the progressives. I'm not just the pastor for the conservatives. I'm not just the pastor for the young folks or for you know for our elders. But my pastoral responsibility is for everyone, and so. Um, so there has to be, you know, back to that, back to that psalm that that someone passed my way this morning. Um, you brought us into a more spacious place. I think I, I see my role as a church leader and as a pastor in a context where diversity is absolutely the case. Um, I see that. I see my role as. I don't know if you've read much Henry Nowen. Um, sure. I haven't read a ton, but a few of his things. And he, he talks about, he writes a lot about hospitality. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably not going to get the quote exactly right, but he says that hospitality is, is, not, is not the work of changing a person. Hospitality is the work of creating space where change can take place. Mm. And and I'm not saying I always succeed. I don't know if I'm not sure I'd even say I often succeed. But I know what I I long to do, um, and what I believe I'm called to do is to do just that: is to create the space where change can take place. You know, I, I think about um, I think about Peter in the Book of Acts. Uh, when he's when he has his crazy dream, you know, about all these different unclean animals on the sheet, and he's been called to this Gentile Cornelius's house, and 
and his mind is literally blown. He never imagined that God could possibly be at work uh, in this this people that were so other to him. You know, uh, that was a pretty polarized climate then too, right? right? And yet he has this experience. He goes in. He 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 he's attentive to the voice of God speaking into his life, and he and he says. This gospel is for y'all too. Come on in, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, let's have a big old baptism service today. And then he has to go back to Jerusalem and tell everybody what he just did. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and he's and it, and then as he's describing it to his, uh, you know, to the church there, he says, "Look, who am I to to limit the grace of God?" Essentially, and uh, and so. So I, I, I am personally, uh, if somebody wanted to put me in a box or, or, you know, in a category, they would put me under the heading progressive, hands down, no doubt. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I think that if you asked folks in my congregation, they'd say, yep, that's where they would probably put her. <laughs> um, but, but, or maybe not, but, and, um, that is that is a piece of 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 ministry and ultimately i my work is i hope about creating the space where change can take place space that's safe where change can take place cuz man like peter who am i to to put limits on the grace of god yeah so how do you how do you navigate, let's say, whether it's with a parishioner or whether it's with a colleague or whether it's just in conversation, how do you navigate with someone who is looking at the scripture through a very um, conservative lens and they sure. go, they go, wait a minute, you know, right? obviously the Bible says this, this, and, and they're, they're referring back to the seven, eight clobber verses that the LGBTQ community typically you know set sets on the side and goes man we're you know there this here right needs to be looked at intently how do you navigate with somebody who's going no you're rewriting this the bible clearly says this this is sin you know all this right well you know i practically speaking um i i try to i try to speak from my experience because i i think that's that's often a helpful place to begin. You know, uh, I try to tell stories rather than uh, say you're wrong and this is what's right. And, uh, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. If you'll sit here and listen to me for, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. And, and I would say it's actually pretty, that's taking good news and making it sound real bad. And so I, I, I don't think it's very faithful. I, I, not that I've never gotten caught up in that and not that I haven't relished. I, I, I will confess to relishing some moments of biblical debate and, uh, you know, going that route, but no, in a, in a, I, I haven't been there for a long time. No, I think what I, I try to talk about my experience. I talk about, and I'm able to do that just from some of the stories that I was naming before, just my my long journey into ministry, uh, the folks who have said along the way, you cannot be called, you're wrong for doing what you're doing, we won't ordain you, we disagree, um, it's unbiblical, read First Corinthians 14, women must be silent in churches. You know, and I, I, I say, look, let me tell you what this was like. Often our our assumption is, I think, I, I think that when we find someone who who seems pretty diametrically opposed to us around biblical interpretation, we often assume that that person just hasn't read the Bible enough. But the truth is, <laughs> both of us have probably wrestled with those words mightily for many years. <laughs> right. And and so so the last thing that I would ever do was was attack someone else's faithfulness or say, well, you just haven't read it. Right, you know, but let me tell you my experience, and 
And let me show you that in my life, I've come to a broader understanding of of these very pointed words in scripture about women in leadership in the church. And let's talk about how I might read those words in the context of the whole of scripture, not just in that one chapter, and also in, in their historical context as well. But let me tell you about what it's been like for me. There, there's a funny story. Um, when I've got two daughters, the, the younger one, when she was about four or five, I was at home writing my sermon and uh, she was at the table like having a snack. And she said, just out of the blue, she said, Mommy, she said, can boys be preachers or only girls? <laughs> and I thought, oh, my word. I, you know how bad I wanted to say, honey, it's only girls, because yeah. that's the only people you ever see be a preacher. That's right. But, but I tell that story to say, look, so much of how we read Scripture is interpreted through our own experience. My little four-year-old's experience was of seeing her mom get up in the pulpit every Sunday. And so that's what she thought a minister had to be. Right. Um, and, and so I would say, getting back to just the question of how do we wrestle with, um, with maybe someone who's taking a very different read on Scripture, I'd say, let's look at it in our experience, you know, and, and let's look at the other texts that we've been able to find gracious room around. Text about divorce. Mm. My goodness. Mm. Right. Um, Preach. It, that, that, that we have hopefully, hopefully, right. As, as the people of God been able to understand in a more expansive and loving way for all of the folks that, that we're in ministry with and for, and for our, for ourselves. Hmm. So I, so I try to, you know, I would probably try to point to some of that as well. Yeah. But I think it's best done in conversation and, and in relationship um, and, uh, and in relationship with folks who, who, who don't necessarily think like us, look like us or love like us. Mm. You know, um, yeah. So when you get to a point of like, like if it's with a congregant or a parishioner, you get to a point of like impasse where yeah. you said your piece and they've kind of said their piece. Is it mostly wins or is there losses in there too, where they're just, the relationship can't sustain it? Or are you able to navigate that? Well, I would say that there are both, um, and I've experienced both just this week. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of, I've been doing a lot of um, processing personally, certainly, um, from having been at the conference in St. Louis, but then just pastorally with our with our folks, with our congregation, um, through all of this. And and with friends, I mean, here we're having this conversation. Like, I love that it occasioned an opportunity for for us to to chat today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'll tell you uh, just quick anecdotally on Sunday. I think it's both. I think on Sunday after uh, worship, you know, I, I I preached about my experience at general conference, and one of the folks in the congregation, as we you know, they were leaving the sanctuary, said, you know, look, I I'm I I didn't agree with you today, and I don't always agree with you. Um, but I respect you, and I respect your passion, and I and and I and I thanked them wholeheartedly for that kind of response. I mean, to me, that is as good as it gets in the body of Christ, which mm. is to say, we are not on the same page here, but we are a part of the same body, and we're gonna keep taking care of each other and that we're not going to allow that to be an impediment to not only our relationship with one another, but um, to the witness that we're bearing for the world. Right. On the same week, I had um, someone say, I, I got an email that I, that I read through tears from one of our folks who said, you know, in light of, 
of the stance that the Methodist Church took at General Conference, which I don't think I said, but at the General Conference, uh, the, the the most conservative, uh, it's titled The Traditional Plan is What Passed. Mm. Um, and so it upholds discrimination and continues to bar LGBTQ persons from ordination from myself or any clergy for performing same-sex ceremonies. And it significantly ups the penalty um, for anyone who disobeys. So so that that's what, and it passed by a margin of 54 votes. And so it reveals a pretty deeply divided body. But th- that's the decision that came down from the general conference. And in response to that, I had a member of our church say, I'm sorry, I if if that's the official position of our denomination, I can't worship here any longer. Wow. And so for them, faithfulness looks like um, seeking out a new community. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it grieves me deeply. And I know that, that that's not the only person that, that has felt that way. And so I think to your question, Mike, I mean, when we, when we engage in these, these deeply felt and deeply personal conversations, we're going to experience both, um, you know, both connection and also loss. Wow. Hmm. I think that's probably true. Um, all right. So the, con- the convention has decided. Yes. <laughs> and now, you sit in the aftermath of this decision. You find yourself from a worldview and a theological perspective in the much more progressive camp. The traditionalists have ruled the day, so to speak. Um, and now there's these really punitive kind of like guidelines. Right. What do you do? Well, it's there, there's a little asterisk that I have to just throw in after the plan that passed because within within our within our United Methodist denomination we have a we have a constitution, um, the kind of ultimate rules of order by which we direct our life and um, and we also have what's called a judicial council and that's made up of clergy and lay people from around the connection many of whom are lawyers by trade and so. Uh, you know, are able to to discern around these types of matters. And um, large portions of that traditional plan that passed were ruled unconstitutional, not vis-a-vis yeah. the national constitution, but our denominational one. And so it's very unclear at this. And that was prior to general conference. Some amendments were made during the general conference but it's not clear yet whether those amendments will bring that plan into harmony with the constitution. So at the end of April, the judicial council will meet and will make a ruling on, um, on those matters. And it, it'll only be after that point that there's any clarity on around, around um, how applicable or enforceable any or all of this plan may be. Oh wow! That's what you get when your denominational name is Methodist. <laughs> we are. It was originally awesome. <laughs> not meant as a compliment when it was extended <laughs> to John Wesley and his pals over at Oxford, right. and it's not always a compliment now. Um, but I think the issue is uh, that you know the question that you raise is a really important one because the reality is. You know, there are not going to be any news alerts from CNN or the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times on anyone's phone in April when this obscure judicial council within the denomination meets to make a decision. Now, there will be implications for me, certainly for my friends and colleagues in ministry for our congregation. But ultimately, the message that has been sent already by the general conference and the minutia is yet to be decided, but the message is that, um, that, that the denomination maintains a, a, a stance around human sexuality 
that is not fully inclusive. And that's what, that's what people heard. And, and they're probably not going to hear any more of the details coming out. So our response, you know, my response is, will be what it will be regarding the, the, the constitutionality of the plan. But to me, the more important response is, how do we, as United Methodists, how do we, as a local congregation, let our neighbors know who we are when they've been given this one soundbite about what the denomination decided. Mm. Uh, Last night we had a leadership meeting here um, at at the church, and somebody said, how do we make sure people know that we're a church that loves? And... And that, and that, and that is the question we're going to be wrestling with. Um, I think here on the local level, for sure. That to me, that's the most pressing question right now. The, these, the, the punitive and the legal part, they'll get ironed out, and um, or not, and, and we'll see what comes of it. All of that is, it's almost impossible to even talk about it because it's all speculative at this point. So for me, the the really pressing question is exactly what what um, you know one of our folks raised in the meeting last night. How do we make sure people know we're a church that loves? Um, so that's and I think that and isn't that true? I mean, wouldn't you say that's true of every congregation of any stripe in any place? Sure. How do we make sure people know right. <laughs> that we're a church that loves? Yeah. So that's what we're going to be putting our energy into in the days and weeks and months to come. I'm only watching as a kind of like an observer with what's from a distance, what's going on with the Methodist. And I'm, I'm, you've definitely given me a lot more to think about from a insider standpoint, because there's a lot that I just digest just through reading, you know, little clips and sound bites and stuff that's going on within the church. But I, I, I am super interested in it only because I kind of did that same thing earlier on with the Presbyterian church. Who's basically went through a division over this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So now it's kind of like your guys' turn. You're next up, you know what I mean? To deal with the issue. And so from an insider standpoint, do you feel like an impending division coming over this? Because it feels like the lines have been drawn pretty hard. I feel the lines have been drawn pretty hard. I I mean, I think I'm an optimist by uh by nature most of the time but um but witnessing what i witnessed in st louis i was i was i was shaken in my core about how how deeply divided uh how deeply fearful and how deeply heels are dug in at this point um, I was, I was, I was a little, I, I will confess that I did not expect, um, I did not expect the, the general conference to, to reveal such an extraordinarily deep division. I, so it startled me a little bit. I think that's part of what I'm kind of personally processing right now. Right. So. So from what I saw, you know, institutionally speaking, you know, are there going to be two kinds of United Methodists coming up? I, I don't know how to speculate about that, but I do believe that the division that is there, uh, it, it is absolutely deeper than I realized. Hmm. They're, it's like, it's it's a weird deal, right? Because... If you're on the far kind of right worldview and, and you're very conservative on this, or you're on the far progressive worldview and you're you're much more open and liberal on this, the passion on both sides feels very equivalent. Like they're very, very, very passionate about the issue equally, you know what I'm saying, on both sides. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that's where you get your like, like the standoff. It's like, whoa. Who's going to blink first? Because there's a lot of passion on both sides here. 
and it's uh, yeah, and and it's one of the things that that I've I've become. But what I will say is that I would expand on that even because one of the one of the phenomena, if you want to call it that, that I I kind of witnessed at General Conference was that if you've got you know you're kind of naming the, the both sides the mm-hmm. the far ends, mm-hmm. but I would say that the centrist, right? Everybody who occupies. Who who might consider themselves as somewhere middle ground? Um, what I witnessed was that the centrists were realizing that we are at a point. It it feels that we are at a point in our life, organizationally, institutionally speaking, maybe morally, spiritually, or humanly speaking as well where where passion is required of all of us <laughs> and and I saw a lot of I, I saw a lot of energy and passion and fire coming from um, from folks who are absolutely in that centrist camp saying we can't just kind of occupy a quiet middle any longer so that was that was interesting and so it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out, right. uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any predictions about how it will, but I, I certainly saw that at work. Yeah. You said something earlier about the the group or the council that had met to come up with the three or four ways of potentially yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Is, were you just using a phrase that you've placed on it or was that the phrase, this idea of a path forward? That was what they, yeah, that is not mine. That That is what they were called uh, and called to do. It was called the Commission on the Way Forward. And I'm actually glad you returned to that because it's a really important piece. And I think it, I think it's instructive for all of us as, as we're, as we're working and, and trying to do the work of God on, on the local level. Um, you know, so this group, this Commission on the Way Forward, they're very diverse uh probably not as diverse as maybe they could have been but um but but that's always always the case um i'm not making excuses for it but um there there were a multiplicity of perspectives there were people there were lgbtq members of that committee there were people from all global areas of the church and they met together um Every other month for 18 months, people would fly from all over the world to get together. And they spent extended, intentional time with each other, crafting and working their way painfully often through to propose. They, they proposed three different plans um, when it was all said and done. And the, on, the, on the second day of the conference, they gave their report and members of this committee came up. And again and again, you heard folks from differing perspectives speak uh, lovingly and passionately about the colleagues that they worked with, about their respect for one another, about how they were humbled by each other and learned from each other. They didn't all agree, but how they loved each other. You know, that was, that was over and over and over again, coming from people who occupied all theological perspectives on that commission, right? And and essentially what they did is they came up with these three plans and they they met as 32 people over a year and a half every other month for extended period of time. And at the end of their time together had a time of repentance and asking one another for forgiveness. If I have harmed you in this process, will you forgive me? Um, and 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 it was this beautiful representation of what's possible for the body of Christ. And then because of our structure and because of our institutional limitations, then we asked 846 people, 843 people to do the same work that they did over the course of a year and a half in three days. <laughs> and there is no way to do that kind of work outside of real relationship. Right. And so our, our structure is as much an obstruction to 
our ability to move forward um, as anything else. But I think that there's something instructive about that model of beating together as a small group over a lengthy period of time with humility and repentance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, th- I think that's, that's a, I think that's what every local pastor is, is trying to navigate with the congregation, right? As you, you're looking at the yeah. congregation and you're going, gosh, I've got people here who agree with me and, and my views on this. And I've got people here who don't, and right. I've got to figure out how to walk this. How do we find a path forward together? Right. Because yeah. obviously right. I guess if you make I guess you could make human sexuality like the test of faith, but obviously even the most conservatives among us would have to admit that's, that's definitely not, you know, the biblical basis that this would be the test of faith as the essentials, right? right? So, (laughs) you know, know, so as a pastor, you're trying to go, okay, well, how do I allow all of us to be heard and allow space for there to be disagreement and still we we can be instructive on this and talk about it and think through it together and study it and and still do it all in grace and peace and and love and and you're probably right what you can do at like a local congregational level just is almost not reproducible at a worldwide global organizational level maybe it's it's reproducible spiritually in some grand scheme of things but not not in a business right. meeting right <laughs> right well and i think and one of the I, I agree and one of the things that i just want to add into to this this conversation um you know from 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 my from my some of my lgbtq friends and colleagues you know who were there as well their their hashtag um, for the for the conference was with not about. In other words, don't don't talk about us. Right. Talk with us. Mm. Allow our voices to be represented, um, and not just represented, but but give us give us the floor. You know. Uh, here, will you hear our stories? Will you listen to our lives? And I think that there's such wisdom in that, um, in that past, that with, not about. And I think it's wisdom that's applicable in a whole lot of conversations, not just the one that, that we're talking about right now. Sure. But if we're going to talk about Let's say we're gonna let's say we're gonna address the fact that you know we've all heard it Sunday morning at eleven a.m. is still the most segregated hour of the week in America. If we're gonna talk about about racism, we need to make sure we're having those conversations with and not about. Sure. If we're gonna talk about you know, and so I thought that that again, that is something that that wise path is something that I think. We can find ways to follow on the local level. Um, that it's it's much harder to do within the the halls of an institution. Yeah, totally. All right. So, what about the super personal for you? You come back home. You've got two daughters. Yes. How do you explain this to them? Well. Um, my my kids are seventeen and eight, so <laughs> so you give me the exact same explanation, right? <laughs> exactly. Yep. We sit down. We have one conversation. Yeah. And, yeah. Um. You know. Well, for my children, um, this is again the the question is not a it's not something that exists up there in the clouds. It's it's part of their it's part of their family. It's 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 something that they see in our family every day. Mm. Um, and so they, they, in our extended family, you know, and so, um, for them, we're not talking about, uh, an idea or, or, or something disconnected from some ethereal issue and out of their right. daily life. Right, right, right. Um, you know, so my 17 year old, she is, uh, 
she's an she's a self-proclaimed um activist she's out there and she's gonna she's always been even as a little a little girl she you know i i i just she had moments where she, if she felt like someone was not being treated fairly she was just gonna she was gonna notice and and that bothered her that has always troubled her little soul even when she was just a tiny thing and so I see that taking shape in a much more mature way now so we were able to have some some really important conversations together the two of us and it was important for her to know that um that I was there you know just to to bear witness and to be able to say I didn't hear what happened. I actually saw what happened and let's talk about it. So so for her it was it was I think an empowering thing mm. and a reminder to continue that to be who she is, which is somebody who pays real close attention if someone's not being treated fairly or with love. And for my younger daughter, you know, she was gosh, she came down with the flu, like the real flu while I was gone and Nice. And she was like, "Mommy, it was so hard for you to not be here." And I was like, "Listen, it was hard for me to not be here." But I said, "You know, it was so important because I had to go where I was because, um, well, we we believe that God loves all of us, and and that was that was an important message that had to get spoken this weekend." So. So we talked about it in some different terms. And actually with the kids here on Sunday, um, I I did a little knitting with them. And I talked about how sometimes when we disagree with each other, things start to feel like they're going to unravel, like things start to feel like they're going to fall apart when we disagree. But if we want things to hold together, and I showed them how when you're knitting something, you have to wrap the yarn all the way around the needle in order to make it not fall apart. I said, we just have to wrap our arms around each other. We have to, we have to embrace each other and take good care of each other so that even when we don't always agree, we won't fall apart. Mm. Um, so that's how we talked about it, I guess, in a couple different ways. That's good. Well, let me ask you this. I would love to work out a time if you're willing to... I don't know, do this again and talk through maybe in more detail some of the, you know, the Bible stuff and the theology stuff behind this. But what are are you, what are you, um, are you reading? Are you studying something? Are you drawn to certain authors that help articulate the worldview that you've, that you've been drawn to in this whole discussion? Is there something you can encourage us with that would be like, hey. Oh, um, well, let's see. Yeah, I got a, <laughs> I'm re, I, I, that's a, I got a long list maybe, but I would say, um, there are mm, a couple of things come to mind right away. Um, and I would say if you're looking for, so maybe some, some authors or some books specifically around the, human sexuality, I don't know. I don't know that I can offer anything tangible in that regard. One author that I have leaned on a lot lately that I know, um, I say lately, probably the way you think of time changes as you get older, right? Mm. Lately for me now means like the last 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But, uh, Richard Rohr, R O H R. Um, He's, he's been, uh, uh, you've probably read him too, but, um, he's somebody that I've leaned on a lot and, and, and he's someone that I think makes a lot of room. He, he, he helps cast a vision for spirituality, biblical interpretation, theology, all of the above, being a Christian, doing church that creates space, um, and his my favorite book of his is called Falling Upward. Mm, um, yeah. Falling Upward. Uh, and I've also been reading and praying a lot uh, with 
some works from Celtic Christianity, uh, folks connected to the Iona community, which is an intentional Christian community in Scotland. Um, and again, not necessarily connecting this strictly to this conversation, um, but but more of things that have shaped my overall perspective. Um, John Philip Newell. Uh, there's a some wonderful book uh, books of daily prayer that have been my daily companion for lately ten years. Um, Celtic benediction is a great one. Um, so I, those are two things. If you if you're looking for some real specifics around this question, I'd be happy to. I'd want to resource you well, and I'd be happy to come back and answer that question more yeah. specifically. No, that'd be I think great. That would be helpful. Okay, sure. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I'd love to maybe set up one more time with you and then send you some things in advance just to kind of like, you know, I don't want you to feel like you're getting caught off guard, but maybe we could talk through from, it'd be, I think it'd be interesting because I, I feel like we kind of started at the same place, growing up in the same youth group. And right. it'll be interesting to see where we've ended up. Cause I think, I think generally, you know, you, you, you're, we're talking more on the higher level today about, you know, kind of the outworking of this and the policies of this and how this affects the people and, you know, the social ramifications, but the theological journey of navigating human sexuality has been like, I don't know. I don't feel like I've ever stopped that. I feel like from the day sure. I got, you know, from my first day of undergrad till now, I'm like still going, no, 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 wait a minute. What about this? And what about this? And what about this? And yeah. It'd yeah. be interesting to see and compare notes on your journey and my journey and see what it looks like. Definitely. Yeah. I'd be, be I'd, I'd be delighted. All right, yeah. cool. Well, Jen, thank you so much. You are awesome for sharing your hour with us today. And well, thanks for thanks for the invitation. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Thank you to go back to this theme for creating some space yeah. uh, for me today. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Very much so. All right, girl. I'm gonna reach nice back to out to you up. on Yeah, I know. And we gotta we gotta do a little more of that. I'm gonna reach out to you on uh Messenger and set up another time okay. soon and we'll do Sounds it. Good. And if you're okay, ever in the state great. of Florida. Let's do this. All right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, Mike. Thanks a lot. See you, girl.